And today I'm here with Beth Ravelli. Beth, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. I'm really excited. And this is a little bit different. I'm going to have you jump in and share your story and it will kind of unfold as we go. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's so many places to start and so many layers to my story. So, you know, I'm going to go with my gut and jump right in to the thing that's coming up for me. So I am a little bit different, as you said, for this podcast, because I'm somebody who is not a parent. So I am somebody who missed motherhood. And that is, there are three different ways to describe that. That is either your childless, not by choice, you are involuntarily childless, or you're childless by circumstance. Those are three ways that we describe it. Um, as opposed to somebody who's child free or childless by choice, meaning they intentionally chose it, they never wanted to have kids. There's a difference with women who have missed it, um, but really wanted it, which is we really wanted it. And there's a lot of grief that you have to work through to get to that place because now your life has blown up and it's really weird. It's as if at some point, at some day in your life, this huge wall just went up in front of you and all the dreams that you had in front of you just suddenly got cut off. And you were told in whatever way that this thing you always thought would happen in your life is not going to happen. And that it's such a stark reality to have to face. Like, because for me, I grew up in a really big family I'm from a family of five girls. My dad's from a family of 11. We, I have 53 cousins. So I have the, the fewest number of children any of the 11 had was four. So that's why I have 53 cousins. And for me, I took it for granted that family was always there and that family would just happen. It never, ever occurred to me at any point in my life, even when I was struggling with the whole concept of like, am I ever going to have a child? That it wouldn't happen. It just didn't occur to me. Um, and there's a number of reasons, you know, we could get into, but I won't go there right now. So what ended up happening, you know, is I had to work through my grief. And at the same time, I was going through the remnants of my divorce. So at 36, I was divorced. At 42, my body went into early menopause. So it just stopped. And that's very early to go into full-blown menopause. I went into it. So that's where I had to face it. I thought I'd have at least a few more years into my forties to try to figure this out. I just, I was working through so much stuff in my life, um, either from childhood wounds to the trauma that I had gone through in my marriage to then add on top of that, suddenly learning that I was not going to be able to have a child in the natural way that I had always imagined. Now, granted I could have, if I had had the wherewithal and I think, yeah, the presence of mind at that moment in my life, I could have made other choices you know, to make that happen using assisted reproductive technologies. But I just didn't understand at the time, even though my doctor had said it to me, but I just wasn't in a place to hear it. I wasn't in a place to receive that and be able to do anything with it. And so I ended up working through my grief and having to make a choice. Like, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to do something that would bring a child into my life in some way? And I decided I don't want to be a single mom because I didn't have anyone in my life. And no, I'm just going to make the most of my life and to figure out what it's going to look like without that child in it and basically reinvent and recreate. And so that's what I did, um, which has led me to what I do now. So I'll pause there for a second in case you have any questions that you want to ask 
about that. I do understand. I know I heard when I was 15 that I might not be able to have kids and that I'd probably have to go through infertility, which is a really young age to hear that at. And I was, I felt blessed that I heard it so young. So I felt, Mm -hmm. I didn't think much of it at the time, but years later, I was really relieved because it planted a seed and you're right. Most of us just think it's going to happen. Right. And it'll happen when it happens. And when I was told I probably wouldn't have kids biologically, I I can definitely empathize with that because I was Mm -hmm. able to go on and, and have kids biologically and through adoption. And I, I, because we can't walk in anyone's shoes, I can't say, Oh, if I had been you, in that yeah. situation, because I have no idea, except that I feel that devastation very acutely when you're told that. And sure, hindsight, mm-hmm. we could have a whole podcast series on hindsight. <laughs> you know? Yes. Because sure, when you were 37, you could have gotten IUI or IVF and had a baby mm-hmm. on your own. I mm-hmm. think we're so presented with what's directly in front of us. Um, that we do make the best choice at the time, but my mm-hmm. heart hurts so much for you in that because I've, I've been in that first phase and yeah. I, I, I mean, no blame should ever be on you for not doing something different because we take things a day at a time or anybody saying you should have done it differently because, well, it's none of their business, but also sure. <laughs> we, we just don't know. We just yeah. don't know. And yeah, my heart hurts for you, especially, well, I don't know. Is it easier or more challenging or both because both can be true to have this huge family and be surrounded by it? Mm. Wow. It, I think you said it perfectly both. <laughs> so you know, it was really hard for me when my baby sister, who's 11 years younger than me, started having children. Um, you know, to watch that was, it was like, wow, all of my sisters now have children and I'm the person who doesn't. I have a niece now who's 30 who has a child. It's, and now I've come to peace more with that in my life. And so the other part of it is I get to really enjoy my nieces and nephews. I get to be the cool aunt. I get to, I I really enjoy them when they get older too and hang out with them, go out with them, just really get to know them as people. So yes, I do. I do have that piece, having a big family. And I also feel it more because I have the big family, just like you said. You did, was, did you ever entertain the idea? I mean, I'm sure, did you vacillate with the divorces can be a pretty traumatic thing, especially if the the marriage was also traumatic. Did you entertain the thought and dismiss it because it wasn't the right time? Um, (laughs) Well, as I said, I did not have the presence of mind. I was in a place, I call it my years of tears. I was in such a place of healing from so many things in my life that I needed. I just didn't have, I just didn't have the capacity at that point to think about those things in the same way I could now. Applying logic to it was just really not on the table. It was me trying to get through each day, trying to be functional every single day. I mean, that was my goal was to just be functional, to be able to show up for work, um, not be breaking down. I mean, I had, I was working through a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety in my life. And so it just, it was, it was a tough time. And to go through that on top of it, it was just, it was a lot. The good news, in my opinion, from an outside perspective is you didn't feel Mm -hmm. like that would fix things. 
a lot of married couples are like, oh, we'll just have a baby and we'll fix it. And I'm like, no, it will not fix anything. And you could have had a similar mindset. Like, you know what? I'll just have a baby on my own. It will fix everything. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you really focused on yourself and I I feel like made the right choices for the right reasons, even though they were Mm -hmm. the harder choices. Yeah. 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 Um, And I can see that how you would say it's the harder choices. For me, I made the choice I had to make for me in the moment. It was like the only choice I was capable of making, which was to get to a better place in my life, to be more functional in my life. But I know what you're talking about. I've had women come to me be like, I just know that if I have a child, it'll be like the fulfillment, you know, of my life. And, (laughs) and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, well, I can see how you feel that connection inside, but the fulfillment of your life is who you are, like apart from being a mom, apart from being a woman, but as a human being, as a spirit being in this world, you know, like that is who you, that's who you truly are. And so I think sometimes we can use motherhood or parenthood to fill those holes or to try to find that meaning that we're longing for. Um, So I'm going to go into then like what I'm doing and and which comes right off of this. So and I want I want to say, too, that if there's anyone listening who is someone who is a childless woman and didn't choose it and is struggling with her grief, this next part might be a little bit triggering for you. So I just want to let you know, like I've had women in the community who are like me say, how do you do what you do? Don't you get triggered all the time? And I'm like, I don't know. I I just have the grace to do what I do. I don't know. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And so I keep going forward. Um, So I am one of, I am a statistic. There are one in five women in the Western world are mm-hmm. childless, the majority not by choice. I'm sure a lot of people have heard that statistic by now. In other countries, I think in Italy, it's one in two. It's like, it's very, it, it, it's definitely something that is happening in our world. And um, some people might say that's a problem. Some people may say that it's not. And I'm not here to talk about that at all. You can look at it how you want. <laughs> My goal is for women to truly be empowered around this area of their lives. And so as I, I'm a coach. And as I went into looking at being a coach, I started, I thought for sure I would be working with women who were childless. Okay. People like people like me. And as I started writing and learning and digging into all of the messaging, I thought, wait a second, this is a symptom of something that's going on in our culture. What is going on in our culture that this statistic even exists? Like what's happening? So I just started to delve in and I started to talk to women and I did some research and the things that, and I started to notice some patterns that I hadn't, that no one was really talking about. And the patterns were one, no one's talking about it. (laughs) That's the first thing. People don't feel they can talk about it. People are scared to talk about it. Um, People think maybe there's something, there's shame in talking about it. I've actually had women say to me, well, if I have to talk about it, if I have to be intentional, that means there's something wrong with me because the cultural norm. And again, I'm, the things I'm going to say are, are my observations. They're not full on truths, but the observations are that women don't feel that there's a space for them to have this conversation and when they do, and if they have to, there's something wrong with them. And so what the patterns I noticed are silence, assumption, like I did, that it's just going to happen. Mm. 
um, women feeling, sorry, my brain just went on, went on pause. <laughs> women feeling that they are um, kind of alone, just like with anything we're struggling with, that there's no one out there who might get it or understand their certain circum set of circumstances that they're struggling through. But here's what I noticed. And this is like the overall paradigm because we're not talking about it because we tend to blame ourselves for what's going wrong. Right. We go internal when a lot of, a lot of women will tell you when they're struggling through infertility, like there's so much self blame that goes on. And if you look at every step along the way in regard to motherhood, there's so much that we as women internalize, which we can tend to do anyway. We tend to take the things in and we take them on rather than being able to hold them out here and go, what's going on, right? In this case, women are not, like I said, in the silence. They are, we've in a sense been conditioned to that silence. And the reason goes way back to how culture has been and how, what culture has nurtured in us to, and then it, culture changed and we've held on to the old ways. So I'm not, let me, let me re-articulate this because my words aren't coming out as well as I wanted. Basically it comes down to this. We are living under an old paradigm, but we've been creating a new one. So when it comes to motherhood, we're still looking at things from a certain direction and we're not acknowledging the fact that our lives have changed. And we, because we've in a sense left motherhood in the dust in terms of our empowerment. So we're, we're empowered around our careers, right? Mm -hmm. We're empowered around, I don't know how we, fitness. our bodies, fitness, right, 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 all of that. But when it comes to motherhood, because of the silence, we're just not looking at it. We're not looking at it. And because of that, it's like, I like to, I describe it this way for people. Imagine that your life is like you're in a room and your life has all these different doors around it. But behind the doors is it's all connected. And when you, we open the door of career, we open the door of, you know, family growing up, we open the door of romantic relationships, we open whatever door that is, but the motherhood door tends to stay closed. But consider the fact that that room, because it's connected to everything else, is affecting every other part of your life. And because we're integrated beings, we don't live in silos, right? Everything is connected inside of us. And so women who come to me, I'm gonna tell you, when they go through my program, what happens is they usually go from, well, this mindset of, well, it's just going to kind of work out. I don't need to do anything about it. And I've even had like a woman say, you know, it seems kind of silly that I even have to be here because it's just supposed to be something that's natural. Why should I even have to be talking about this? <laughs> and so, but what happens at the end of it is they take on this greater amount of ownership and that's the empowerment. It's like, this is my journey. This is part of my life and I get to own it. And I get to, and through that, and it's not, I want to stress, it's not about the end result. It's not about them having the baby. It's about them owning this part of their lives to say, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. This, these are my boundaries around this. This is how I could look. It could look. And because of that ownership, the attachment that they have to that end result coming out exactly as they want it loosens up a little bit, or it's not there anymore. And so, and you've probably heard this in other areas, right? Like we want to be unattached from something. Like you want to be present, but not so attached to something. Like that's where a lot of the suffering in life comes from when we're so attached to something because of all the things that we're making it mean. So imagine 
with all the things women are making motherhood mean about them. For me, it was a sense of belonging in our culture. Like it wasn't just that somebody told me I wasn't going to be a mom naturally. It was that I now already struggling with the sense of belonging since I was young, like how do I fit into this world? Now there's another reason and more evidence that I don't belong. So that, that was like a thing that I had to look at and work through. But for other women, that might mean something else. That was my thing. For some women, it might mean that. And it might mean other things as well. So we work through those messages together. And it, what it does, it starts to clear the space out for them so they can walk the journey toward their vision with more freedom, with more joy, with more power in their lives so that they're not just stuck spinning. Because most of the women who come to me, they're like, I really want this thing. I want this to happen, but I don't know how to get there. I have no idea how to get there. And they just want the like, well, tell me how to get there. <laughs> like, huh, I can't tell you how to get there. You know, like it's not going to happen. But I have a process. We have a, an experience that we can walk through together. So you can start to discover that and explore on your own what that really means for you. And in getting that ownership at the end, it's like they're not as attached and they get to, they get to incorporate that part of their life of themselves into their full life. It's just like when we incorporate, I don't know if you're familiar with this concept. I've done a lot of therapy where you're, you're doing integration work, where you're integrating a part of yourself you know, into the whole, into the adult self. It's kind of like that. <laughs> it's like this part of us has been left in the dust and now let's go and own it. Let's truly own it. And in that, there's just so much more freedom for them. And they get they now find themselves in action that they were not taking previously. I'm an NLP practitioner, so I do parts integration, actually. And that's ah, something okay. I think for me, that was the most powerful part of becoming yeah. a practitioner and doing work. I think it's one mm -hmm. of the easiest processes when you're talking about things from a therapy standpoint, but it's so impactful and so fast. So that's that's super fascinating. I love that because that's, it's, and it's so, um, it makes such a significant difference because we don't realize like on one hand this, and on the other hand this, you know, and they're, we're saying the same things, but we're in conflict with ourselves. So like, that's a totally different topic also. Yeah. Right. I, there's so much I want to unpack here. I think the, as far as the silence with women, and mm -hmm. it's something that I've talked about on the podcast before. I think it starts when moms are buying pads and tampons for their daughters. Mm. Every single woman that you see everywhere has, is, or was menstruating. Mm -hmm. every, every one of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so why is this sort of like the, put the pads on the conveyor belt and hide them behind the oranges? You know, we have this like, why is Shame. this a big deal? Why is it a big deal that we're buying pads and tampons? And that right. starts when our girls have their periods mm -hmm. um, and we have to buy it. And, or why are boys embarrassed to buy them for girls? I like it just, we're starting it off at a very young age. Somehow, even, even when we're aware, like I'm aware of that and making sure that I don't react in a negative way. And mm -hmm. still, you know, our teenagers are like, I don't want anybody to know what, like, why, why is this a big deal? Mm -hmm. And women kind of don't ever open up. I mean, it's, and I don't know that that's where it starts, yeah. but definitely that's where you see 
women or girls reacting in a shameful way to something that's normal and natural in their body that they should never be embarrassed about. And then we take that and run with it. Instead of women supporting each other and talking about it, we don't talk. Instead of supporting, we bash each other often. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't talk about miscarriages or infertility or like how much you love your kids and they drive you freaking crazy. And you wonder why you thought you were fit to be a parent. I mean, there's so much in it. And if you say this is so hard, someone shames you for like, well, at least you have kids. And I thought you wanted (laughs) them. And like, look, both can be true. Yes. Um, Yes. We can still be human beings. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The silence is a really, really, really big deal. And it's rooted far before infertility or not being a mother. And that woman saying, it's just going to happen. And why do we have to talk about it? Well, you don't, Mm -hmm. you can keep this vicious dysfunctional cycle going by not Mm -hmm. talking about it. Or yes. You know, when we share stories, uh, we feel less alone because my story may not resonate with it may resonate with one out of a hundred people but it's that one it's that one that we care about right and so I mean that was the podcast I want more people sharing stories so more stories can resonate and it can make a difference to that one but women you're right they don't talk I want to make a comment and I was going to save this Mm -hmm. but I don't want to forget because I said at the beginning you know you have a really interesting this is an interesting Um, topic because you're a motherhood coach and you don't have kids. And I think you're the, where the first reaction is, well, how, and don't you get triggered, but also what a perfect fit because you, right. You get to teach women how to work through their trauma. If that end result isn't what happened because you've done so. So exactly. Can I, can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. Let me just tell you, I have had, I have this struggle, like, because I feel for me, everything that I got, everything that I've created. And so I wrote a book too. That's all about this. Like everything that I have, I feel has been spiritually inspired. Like I have been inspired. It has been a download and I have like done it and I kept going, but kind of like, why me? Like I'm, people see me and like, I'm not a mom. Why would they even think I'm the person? And I've had two coaches, both men, um, say to me like well you know no disrespect but like one was like most people come to coaches because they have the thing that they don't want if you're not a mom how can you do this you know and another one like why you and I was like okay I get that and I have to keep I have to follow my gut on this like I, I acknowledge that but what it forced me to do was to have to really work through why me like and it, it took a number of revelations and insights for myself to be okay and accept that. And I still have twinges of that at times. The, only, the thing that really keeps me grounded is knowing that I am where I am and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So let me give you the one that really made the difference for me was this. There is, you know, it's a truism that when you're not in the majority in a culture, when you are in the minority, you not only see the very intentional um, aggressions, but you see the unintentional aggressions, right? So I can't understand what it is to be a black woman in our country. There's just unintentional things that go on. And I can say this with certainty because people don't understand the unintended aggressions they've had against me or microaggressions because I'm a childless woman. 
it's not that they're being mean. They just don't understand that that question or the way they said something hurt my heart. They don't understand that because they haven't lived it. So I understand and see what the path is through front to that like um, agency as a woman in life. So that my identity is more in being a human being before I'm even, you know, a woman or a mom. And that's the, what I had to go through as someone who was childless. So I know what the path is to get there. And that's what I'm offering women. It's like, you can have that same thing and you don't have to have it. You can do better than me. You don't have to wait until you missed motherhood to have it. You get to have more of it and you could have the child. And so that's, that's what I, I'm offering. Right. Well, I mean, in a different way also, I've had phenomenal OBGYNs and my infertility specialist, mm-hmm. male. They're yeah. never going through infertility. They've never had a period. Mm-hmm. They do not know what a cervical mm-hmm. check feels like. They have no idea how, why, you know, but they were phenomenal obstetricians or specialists mm-hmm. that I absolutely am so grateful that I had and they will never be mothers. They will never mm-hmm. go through labor. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, yes, we have obvious, obvious comparisons and mm-hmm. also, yeah, I mean, who better to help women who are struggling than someone who has struggled and gotten through it without the quote desired and outcome. And we can talk about how it's a journey and not the destination when you're going through the journey and it's really painful. Sure. Doesn't feel like the journey is the, <laughs> is the part, right No, No, it doesn't. And you're helping women figure out that journey, whether they end up having a child or not having a child. And yeah. look, I got kids hook or crook. I was able mm-hmm. to have them biologically, but I, I got them through um, foster care, private adoption, blended family. You don't mm-hmm. like it's, it's possible to have children from everywhere. And so it doesn't have to look a certain way. I think when we get, when we detach the idea that motherhood has to look a certain way, Mm -hmm. um, a lot can open up for us. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's the thing too, like in my program, I give women, we do this whole, what we call like designing piece. There's like seven modules and one of them is design. And in the design piece, we, I give them all these worksheets to work through, like what their priorities are in terms of motherhood. Like how would they rank the kind of motherhood journey that they want? You know, how open are they to being a mom by adoption? How open are they to being a bonus mom or a stepmom? How open are they to being a single mom? You know, and so it helps them to narrow down and get really clear on what do I actually really want? And if, and then look at, well, what if it doesn't work out? Let's say I want to, I know I have to be a partnered, uh, I have to be partnered and I want to have my own child. Like that is my number one. It's got to be that way. And then we look at, well, how else could it be for you? Like think about, and we look at ages, like how do you imagine, like what age you, you would be, you know, how comfortable are you with assisted reproductive technologies? Cause I educate them and all of that. And so they get to just think through all of this. They write, they even, I have them write a letter to their um, future selves. So if they were in a place where they were struggling with their fertility and it wasn't happening, that they have, they're saying to that future self what it is they think they might need to hear in the moment and to remind them, kind of to ground them. Because sometimes when women are in that space, 
they can just be going round and round and chasing the baby and they get caught up in all of that and forget like kind of where they started. And so um, it's just really having good boundaries around all of it. Because if you know, I'm not willing to do more than like three rounds of IVF or two or no, none. Like, yes. how do you know where to start? Like, you're just going to keep going and you're going to, the emotion then starts to dictate. So we bring all that in prior so that it sets you up for, for um, a more grounded experience in the future. At least that would be the goal. I love this so much. I, I love the working on the trauma, regardless of the child. Mm-hmm. In the end, you've either worked through it and are okay with not having a child or you are in a much better place when you have a child. Because often we have kids and then we realize our triggers come up. Like having kids and being a parent actually can trigger a lot of us in our yes, trauma. Exactly. Yes. And so yes. If, if you, if, so either way, if you're going through this program, you're either a better parent or better not being a parent. Yes. And yay. You got it. You got it. Yes. That's exactly it. <laughs> and um, that's huge because that's so far ahead of most parents. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't think of options. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I recently just had a breastfeeding mom reach out to me and she said, you know, my supply while pumping and going to work isn't very much. And I don't want to formula feed. And I said, have you considered donor milk? Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh, no, I didn't even think that that could be a possibility or that I could afford it. And she got donor milk. So, I mean, often it's not that like there there was nothing magical. I said nothing magical there, Mm -hmm. except just said, okay, well, you don't want formula and you don't have a supply. This Mm -hmm. is another option. Have you considered it? And you're giving people all these other options of what could be possible where they really, they, they have the opportunity to look into it. And if it, if there's a lot of resistance in that, well, like, no, I'm not interested in foster care. It doesn't mean I'm going to try to convince you to be a foster parent. Right. You would not be trying to convince them. It would, it would be more like, well, let's look at why that's not a good option because that could be uncovering trauma triggers too, mm-hmm. or yeah. issues. So they can move on and not be a foster parent hmm. Yeah. But but that now they know why and they can work through that trauma. So this is just I mean, first of all, it's fascinating and I love it. And I love that you're flipping the script on the trauma, bef- getting through trauma prior to parenting, because mm-hmm. um, that's very real. Becoming a parent and having trauma triggers is massively real. Yes, we go through that. Actually, like in my program, there's a I interview a woman who had to work through her issues with her mom, but didn't realize it until after she was a parent. And so it's just to solidify how important it is to look at these things, you know, beforehand. Um, I wanted to say something because I know we're probably coming close we to are. the end. Yeah. Um, the, the, the way my program closes is really important, which is the whole last module is about what if it doesn't happen. So we create an alternate vision. And the point I want to make about it that I think is so important that we don't think about as women is that there's this whole underlying message going on or a fear of what we're running away from, which is the fear of it not happening. And in facing that fear, it's like what it does is it sets us up to win rather than to be constantly chasing whatever it is we think we have to chase to not lose, right? So we would rather, like I always say, let's go forward in a way to win rather than to not lose. Because when we're looking at not losing, we're putting all that energy toward that fear and all of those things rather than here's what I wanna create you know, and moving toward that. 
I, I do want to say I love how you were talking about being in a room with the doors all around you and how we don't mm -hmm. realize that when we open the doors on the other side, it's all connected. Mm -hmm. And we can either not walk through some or close some off because I think a lot mm -hmm. of times, you know, we become parents and we close the door on who we are as women or wives or mm -hmm. in all these other areas because we don't feel like we can have that. And so I love that you're basically helping women open these doors, work through that trauma and move forward regardless of what happens. So that's a beautiful thing. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Beth. Thank you for being mm -hmm. on and sharing. Thank you for having me. It's been so great. Thanks for all your questions and for getting it. <laughs> it's awesome. And um, if people want to find me, I do have social media and um, it's just BethRavelliCoaching.com or BethRavelliCoaching on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And everything, everything is listed in the show notes as well. Okay. So okay, that great. will be awesome.